Hello, Katwanto. Here come the Pacific waves from RNZ Pacific. Mikoroi Hawkins, coming up. Bringing Kiribati back into into the forum was obviously a really important foreign policy that Ramboko wanted to lead off. Kiribati has signaled its return to the Pacific Islands forum, but there is still a lot to be done to fully mend regional unity. Also, well, since Sunday when we set up at uh, another location. We've been busy all the way through. Flood victims brace for more bad weather overnight in New Zealand's Upper North Island. And later on... We chose to kind of hide uh, the messages and themes of our story in this war story. We tell a note to the filmmakers of We Are Still Here, a unique film exploring the effects of colonisation on indigenous communities in the region. The government of Kiribati has formally stated its positive endorsement to rejoin the Pacific Islands Forum this year. This was confirmed in a statement from the president. It says the decision comes following a fruitful, positive and successful bilateral meeting held between the current chair of the Pacific Islands Forum and Prime Minister of Fiji, Setiveni Rambuka, and the president of Kiribati. The shock withdrawal of Kiribati from the forum in July last year contradicted the rhetoric at the time around the work being done to repair relations between the North and South Pacific, which deteriorated over the appointment of Cook Islands' former Prime Minister Henry Puna as Secretary-General of the forum over the Micronesian candidate, the Marshall Islands diplomat Gerald Zakios. I spoke with Massey University Senior Lecturer at the Centre for Defence and Security Studies, Anna Poles, about the significance of Kiribati's intention to return to the fold ahead of forum leaders meeting early this year. Obviously, excellent news uh, from Kiribati following Prime Minister Rampoka's visit uh, that Kiribati will be re- rejoining the forum. Uh, and you know, this is this is obviously you know one of the top issues for for 2023 was going to be Pacific regionalism, and it still it still is uh, a, a top issue uh, with all the work that is currently being done. However, having Kiribati back in the family uh, will go a long way to being able to move forward on a number of the issues which brought about the Micronesian exit. Now, there have been quite a few issues sort of raised with the forum over the years, and Rambuka kind of spoke to the the fallout with Fiji and the creation of the Pacific Islands Development Forum as sort of a wedge in between this whole just one voice kind of an issue, and even suggested re-looking at whether the leaders would like to close that down rather than having uh, mm. multiple voices in the region. Um in terms of mm-hmm. actually addressing like the composition of the Pacific Islands Forum, some of the way decisions are made, how how much are we seeing of actual change towards that end? Well, it's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds now. Obviously, you know, Fiji uh, under uh, Prime Minister Ramboka has taken a, a a really strong leadership role in seeking to heal. Some of the divisions uh, with the, and fractures within Pacific regionalism, and he sig- signaled out 2006, uh, and and then the cre- and the creation of the PIDF uh, as a consequence of that, uh, and and really uh, you know through the the ceremonies that that took place in in, in Kiribati during uh, Rambuka's visit, really took. Um, leadership in seeking to heal some of those divisions. Now, obviously, there is some way to go. Ramboka signaled that 
uh, a number of the decisions that need to be made under the Suva Agreement will need to be made amongst the Micronesian countries themselves. Uh, for instance, where this, uh, where the sub-regional office is going to be located, for instance, it initially was signaled that it would be in RMI. Uh, however, there are indications that Kiribati may be seeking to locate it there. So there is still some you know, resolution to, and, and sort of reconciliation, for want of a better word, to take place amongst uh, the Micronesian countries as in order to, to really uh, to, to strengthen regionalism more broadly. So there is still some way to go, but this is the, bringing Kiribati back into, into the forum uh, before the forum chair role was handed over from Fiji to Cook Islands uh, uh, in March, February, March, was, was, was obviously a really important foreign policy point that Rambuka wanted to lead off following the... Um, the election of the coalition government in Fiji late last year. I keep pressing the composition of the forum because like originally like it was quite clear that you know it was independent Pacific countries. Um mm. they had some observers with the Canucks and and uh the territories, but now we've seen in the last uh decade or so a change in that membership in that uh, uh some some territories are now actually inside mm. inside the fold also um we've obviously got uh indonesia we've got china as well interested in and in being more active inside the forum and we have the situation with australia and new zealand being the, the major funders of the body as well and and the absence of the u.s pacific territories and a, a, a few others that are in the ocean so the moana the pacific ocean as well has been mm -hmm. questioned in the past what are the I guess maybe maybe even almost explaining to us the the makeup of the current forum and the the power dynamics within that. So I think Kuroi, you touched on a number of really important points here uh, about um, sub-regionalism and the way that it's shaping uh, the forum and regionalism more broadly in the Pacific. I think it's important to note that under Dame Meg Taylor, the former Secretary General of the Pacific Islands Forum. Uh, the funding arrangements were shifted uh, so that there is fairly equal between Australia and New Zealand on the one hand and then the uh, other Pacific Island Forum member countries on the other. So really to try and, and, and balance that out. But one of the concerns that's come up with the super agreement uh, and with the additional sub-regional offices and, and uh, et cetera, is the question of who will fund those additional sub-regional arrangements uh, and so that may again shift the balance of funding uh, slightly until uh, for in, in the short term. In, then of course you know there's the issue around uh, the the question of, of, of membership of the forum and how that we have seen that expand out to include the uh, French territories as part of that and there are of course you know significant questions around the geopoliticization of the forum as a consequence of, of, of a number of countries having sort of proxy, shall we say, it's kind of proxy seats at the table. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have the broader question around the role of, of other 
significant external actors in the region, such as you mentioned Indonesia, China, of course, uh, and then uh, others who fall under, as China does, fall under the dialogue partner grouping. Of course, last year, the dialogue partners meeting wasn't held uh, in, um, in in Fiji, uh, and there are still, qu still uh, questions around uh, when it will be held uh, this year. And so there's a lot of sort of jostling amongst those external dialogue stakeholders, those dialogue partners uh, for, for a position uh, in order to be able to engage uh, with the forum. So I think what we'll see this year is a sort of a continuing kind of shakedown of regionalism. Uh, and of course, you know, we have at that, that sub-regional level, all the, those other groupings, the Malaysian Spearhead Group, uh, the um, Polynesian leader, Leaders Grouping, uh, the PIDF, of course, which, which Ramboka has referred to, uh, and others. Um, and, and those groupings are going to be really, really important going forward uh, as the PIF will be going through a significant implementation uh, process of the 2050 strategy for the Blue Pacific Continent. More bad weather is due overnight and the flood impacted Upper North Island of New Zealand where a state of emergency is in force for Auckland and surrounding areas. Last Friday, torrential rainfall caused devastating flash floods in which three people were killed and hundreds forced out of their homes. Finau Funua has been out and about in Auckland speaking with people in affected communities. More flash floods are expected in the north of Auckland over the next 24 hours. It all began last Friday after torrential rainfall throughout the day, followed by a sudden downpour late evening, caused rivers to overflow, submerging entire streets and swamping hundreds of homes. Mangre, a predominantly Pacifica neighborhood, is among the worst affected suburbs. Mangre resident Luisa Opataya said her home was flooded while she was still asleep. I took a nap about 7.30 p.m., and I woke up at 8.30 p.m. and when I got off my bed, I splashed into the water on the ground. So it was already up to um, halfway up my calf, almost to my um, knee. And the whole, um, so three rooms in my house were flooded. Emergency centres were quickly set up, providing supplies and temporary shelter to dozens of families left homeless by the floods. One of the busiest centres still is the Mangare Memorial Hall in Manukau. Auckland councillor Al Filipina, who has been helping to organise relief efforts, says many families are continuing to arrive at the hall, requiring basic goods and household items ruined by the floods. Heaps of families affected. There's, there's heaps. That's why we've been busy um, over the last... Uh... Well, since Sunday when we set up at uh, another location, we've been busy all the way through. The, the, the needs of financial assistance from uh, from Ministry of Social Development, there's also uh, kind of order for those that are living in um, housing. So that's the biggest need is, is that, but also some of them have lost everything, so they're getting their clothes, and whatever we get donated, that's what we end up putting on. Luisa Opetaya says she's now moving out of her house as it is too hazardous to live in. But I am going to have to move out because I have no power and no gas. And um, yeah, and it's just not safe to be in here um, at the moment. So yeah, I will have to leave probably today, but we're just trying to get everything out at the moment. We are still here. 
That's the title of a unique film that explores the effects of colonisation on Indigenous peoples in Australia, New Zealand and the Pacific through eight separate stories. Samoan Kiwi creatives Mario Ngawa and Miki Mangasiva co-wrote and directed the uniform story in the film following a Samoan soldier who befriends a Turkish soldier while entrenched in Gallipoli during World War One. Susanna Suisuiki spoke to the two directors and started off by asking how they got involved in the film project. Basically, uh, we are still here as, as a uh, collab from uh, between Film Commission and uh, Screen Australia or Film Australia. And they were out and asking for scripts to be sent through to them um, to make a uh, series of short films. That was the original idea. So... Of course, me and I, Mickey and myself, submitted, as did other people. In the end, uh, they chose eight scripts, four from New Zealand, four from Australia, and we made a film that became We Are Still Here. The piece that you both worked on is the uniform. What was it about the war in Gallipoli that felt like it was the appropriate setting to address the effects of colonialism on Pacific people? Well, Mario and I uh, like to do a little bit of the unexpected um, so we chose to kind of hide uh, the messages and themes of our story in, in this war story. I mean, I had heard that um, at Gallipoli, uh, the premise of our particular film um, actually happened um, at Gallipoli. And I always thought that uh, that was an amazing starting off place to, to have a story uh, to me. You know all the all, all the things you heard about that place were also, also gruesome and horrific and um, nasty. And so to hear that this beautiful uh, friendship thing happened in in such a war torn place, um, I just thought was magical. Um, and so we set about writing a little script based on that. Um, now, when you you know when you put a, you know your main character. Um, in this sort of environment, um, and that character is fighting for a uh, colonial uniform uh, that he no longer identifies with because he's surrounded by this horror. Um, he goes through a bit of an identity crisis and a loss of identity. He doesn't really know where he's from. It was the the film was um, set up to. Uh, celebrate 250 years uh, since Captain Cook arrived in the South Pacific, which is why we have representation from both New Zealand and Australia. Um, and it was uh, the Indigenous right of reply uh, to uh, that colonization of the South Pacific. So uh, Mario and I decided to do a story where somebody's lost and lost the sense of what he's fighting for, lost uh, the sense of the uniform he's fighting for, and then find something beautiful uh, and uh, the enemy that he's supposedly fighting against. What is it about Indigenous stories that fascinates filmmakers to keep putting it out on screen? Is it for Indigenous communities to celebrate their identity and resilience, or is it an attempt to address white guilt? I think it's I think it's a little bit of both sometimes, uh, but for for me certainly it's uh, about addressing underrepresentation. Um, you know, for a, a place that has or a place that has the uh, largest uh, representation of Pacific Island communities, you'd think that, um, you know, we would uh, 
see that reflected on what we watch on television uh, or the amount of programs we watch on television and the films that we see at the theatre uh, or the films that we make here in New Zealand. So, you know, a, a part of it uh, for me is is addressing that. I guess I would add to that by saying, just adding, you know, essentially to what Mario is saying is, and and it's, it's a bit of a cliche to say that we write, you know, what we know. And so this, we are Pacific Islanders. And so we do naturally tend to write, um, certainly to begin with, as Pacific Islanders. Now, we would love to get to a stage where we start to do other stories, wider stories. But I think initially when we're launching, um, we want to tell our stories. And as a part of telling any story, you want to hit on themes that has a strong message. And from minority people who have had lots of struggles in the past, drama is always something that you turn to as a storyteller. And we have lots of drama in our history. So it's nice to bring up a lot of the concerns that we've had. It's nice to highlight some of the things that we've had to go through previously. That all makes for good drama, as well as give ourselves a bit of a voice. It gives us a bit of an identity to say, this is who we are. This is what we went through. These are the stories that we can tell and we can be powerful storytellers telling those and hopefully give messages to both our own people coming up but also across to um you know uh, other ethnicities um to try and understand us better that's specific waves for today remember you can download us for free to your device from spotify iheart apple podcasts and if you're using apple please leave us a rating so others can also find us more than Monday.